This is your favorite time of the week with your number one, one podcast. This is your favorite time of the week with your number one, one podcast. Sports Today with Peter J. for years here. From the 10, second and 18. Thibodeau got there, got the ball out. Scooped it and scored. Touchdown Giants, Kayvon Thibodeau. There's R.J. Barrett, gets some room and can't finish it. I'll tell you what, Jericho Sims making an impact here in the second quarter. Is quickly knocks another three down. How about the Knicks, winners of eight straight. And they beat the Warriors on their home floor for the first time since February of 2013. Fox outside, Zabat and Panarin, he scores! Artemi Panarin, it's a power play goal! And the game is tied, 1-1. Woodrow leads Gauthier, Gauthier to the net, scores! I tell you what, Rangers are playing some pretty good hockey lately, folks, and it was only a matter of time before that started to happen. Forget about what happened at the beginning of the year. They were a cup-talented team. They were a cup-ready team, at least on paper, and they've certainly started to get going. Well, we'll talk about this a little later in the broadcast. The Devils starting to teeter with that young roster that they have. But anyway, Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas Eve to all of you. Happy Holidays. Uh, across the states to those of you listening on Podbean Live today, December 24th, 2022, Sports Today with Peter J. I'm your host, Peter J. Mulroy, a special airtime of 9 a.m. I'll be here till right around um, 11 a.m. this morning talking all things New York and national sports. Huge week in the NFL. Loads of Saturday games today. Uh, week 16 in the NFL, headlined here in the tri-state area by the New York Giants and the Minnesota Vikings. Week 16 was kicked off Thursday uh, in, in something of a slog fest with the Jets-Jaguars game Thursday night uh, at MetLife Stadium. Jets look terrible. And this is two weeks in a row with the New York Jets, and we'll start our programming there for today, uh, that this New York Jet team uh, has just looked abysmal. Uh, you go back to the Lions game two weeks ago. That's on Rob Sala, the head coach. Clock management at the end of that game was was. Herman Edwards-esque, if you will. I mean, the guy just looked clueless. I actually said to myself while I was watching that Lions game uh, back a couple of weeks ago, because I had the Lions uh, outright on my money line in my in my parlay bets of the week, which I was actually fortunate enough to win. I had the Lions sitting there outright, and they get the late touchdown to the tight end uh, with a minute or so left in the game. Jets got a chance to win this thing, and they're taking their time. So I say to myself, I'm sitting on the couch watching this game, they keep flashing the camera to Sala, and the clock is running. He's got timeouts to use. I'm going, this guy knows he's losing, right? I mean, he knows that they're trailing in the game, and they need a score to win. 
Wilson makes a nice play to keep the, the drive alive on, on fourth and whatever it was, throws it up uh, to, to keep the drive going. Um, but it was just uh, insanity what happened there um, at the end of that game. Uh, fast forward to Thursday night, and the offense is, is just in the mud. They're running in the mud. And there was nothing they could get going to the tune of three points. Basically, from the moment that Zach Wilson touched the football, the Jet fans, you heard it in the open, Al Michaels say they just booed him, unrelenting, until they took them out. Took him out. Interception, sack after sack. Now, that offensive line isn't great. I also think that's part of the reason they don't put Joe Flacco back there. Flacco can still sling it. He's just a statue. So that's kind of the issues that you're facing there uh, at the quarterback position with the New York Jets. But, man, Thursday night, Jaguars come in. Significant game for both teams, playoff-wise. And if you talk about what the Jaguars were looking at, they've got a chance now at 7-8 and eight overall, the way they've played football. Tennessee goes down. I don't think they will. I think it'll be close. I don't think it's out of the question they lose. I just don't see it. To Houston this weekend, they go to Jaguars. And then you got a, a two-week stretch where you're basically going blow for blow with Tennessee to see who can win that AFC South. What the Jaguars have done this year is remarkable. Trevor Lawrence playing out of his mind. Now, the passing numbers for Lawrence weren't there Thursday because that Jet secondary is awesome. The entire Jet defense is very good. They just get no help from the offense. So huge win for Jacksonville. But what does the loss now mean for the Jets? Seven and eight overall. In the playoff picture in the AFC, as we speak now at 9.06 a.m. on December 24th, Christmas Eve, they're 10th in the AFC. Out of it? No. Long shot? Big time. Fourth place in the AFC East out of four teams. They've got some good wins on their resume this year, the Jets. And then some pretty lousy losses. Not specifically losses to just bad teams, but the way they lose these games. Unforgivable loss to the Jaguars, uh, to, uh, to the Lions two weeks ago. Can't happen. Lions playing good football. They're in their own playoff race, as we'll talk about uh, later in the show when I give you my Week 16 uh, NFL picks. But the way the Jets lost that game was horrific down the stretch. Probably the worst drive for the Jets' defense all year. Granted, Jared Goff is playing good football. I get it. Lions have the best offensive line in football. I get it. Got to get stopped there. Can't let a fourth down 50-plus yard play go for a score on your home field. It can't happen. So the Jets now, four straight losses. I mean, you're looking at seven and four. Things are looking pretty good. Questionable quarterback situation, I get it, but you were still seven and four. Losses on the road, granted close to the Vikings and Bills. All right, we're seven and six. We've got a chance here. Big game coming up against the Lions. Late, they lay an egg. Thursday night, terrible. Wilson got lang- uh, yanked after a lousy performance. Uh, the Jets fans were almost rooting for it. Uh, now you'll see the talk of where, where does he rank uh, amongst the biggest busts in Jets history as a former number two draft pick. I mean, this is uh, total insanity uh, at, at this point with what's gone on in, in uh, Gangreenville uh, out in MetLife Stadium. If you watch that from the opening kick, fourth play from scrimmage, the booze started raining down on Wilson. You go back a couple of weeks to remember, those of you who watched the game, how poorly he played against the New England Patriots at home. They bring in Chris Streveler. Had a nice game. 
but he's kind of a gadget quarterback. He's going to run first. It gives you some life, but when you're playing for your playoff lives, you need more consistency out of that quarterback spot. Jets aren't getting it right now. Now you got the issues with Mike White. He continues to miss time with his fractured ribs. Doctors are refusing to clear him, which is a good thing. They're protecting him, but it's a bad thing for wins and losses because Mike White was productive. He was getting it done. He had rapport. He made Elijah Moore look like that second-round pick that the Jets thought they had when they drafted him out of Ole Miss a couple of years ago. But now he's uh, going to report that uh, NJ.com put out a couple days ago. White has, quote, a couple fractures in a row that makes that area of his body really vulnerable. What does that mean? He takes the wrong shot. It's, it's over for the rest of the year. Now what do you do with the Jets in limbo here? You got a week 17 trip, New Year's Day, to Seattle. That's a 4 o'clock game on the East Coast. East Coast start time, I should say. Last week of the season, January 8th, you got to go down to South Beach. You play Miami. Who They're 8-6. They're right in this mix. And they got a big game Sunday night against Green Bay, who's still in the NFC playoff race. As bad as Green Bay looks, they're still alive. So this is not going to be an easy task for the Jets, needing a lot of help, mind you. Seven and eight. Now down in the playoff rankings, 10th in the AFC with two road games against two teams that are knocking on the door of the postseason. It started today. Matter of fact, Miami would be in. So this is not going to be easy. But the Mike White thing is cause for concern there. Injury worse than maybe we initially thought. I mean, take a look earlier in the season. You go down to Los Angeles, the Chargers with Justin Herbert. Got banged around against the Kansas City Chiefs, and he had midsection problems with his ribs. That's not a joke. Of all the positions on the field to be playing with a rib injury, quarterback is the one that I would pick last to throw out on that field. And with the way Wilson has looked in relief all of a sudden, the day one started, he was hurt, and then Flacco started the season, but he was your QB1 coming into the year before the injuries. So you go from Flacco to White. White gets banged up. You're not going to see Flacco. Not with this offensive line. Guy's going to get crushed. He's going to get killed. He can't move. He can throw it. But running, being mobile, nah, that ship sailed a long time ago for Joe Flacco. Not that he was ever the, ever the fleetest foot uh, throughout his career anyway. But this is an interesting time. If you're a Jet fan, because now, what are you looking for? You went out, you go 9-8, and eight, that's great. You're going to make the playoffs? Probably not. Need a lot of help. Is Zach Wilson's career with gangrene over? In my opinion, yeah. I don't see how it could continue. And the, again, I'll say it again like I did before. You watch that game Thursday night. I had a couple of friends at the game. It was almost like they were rooting for him to fail. I mean, this is a complete 180. With Jet Nation from let's say six weeks ago. Go back a month when they were seven and four, where you were jacked up, going to a Jet game. No animosity toward any of the players, the coaches you had. Seven and four, we're ready to roll. Here we go. Gonna make the playoffs ahead of schedule. Now, I had also said the beginning of the year, you would have asked me what team was more prepped to make a playoff push this year, the Jets or the Giants. To me, it was easy Jets. It was easy Jets. Because I don't think anybody ever saw this quickly for the Giants. 
and we'll talk about them in a little bit. But how it's almost like the Jet fans want to be miserable and expect to be miserable. And I get it. But I still think that there is monstrous light at the end of the tunnel for the Jets. It's just not going to be because I don't see how it could be with Zach Wilson as your quarterback. I mean, the kid's got intangibles that are unreal. His arm strength is in, is unquestionable. The way he moves around the pocket has been good. His decision-making is awful. Absolutely awful. And I think that's where the booing and the frustration from the Jets come, the Jets fans come. And I think a lot of that also has to do with Maybe the act is wearing thin with Coach Rob Sala. From an outside perspective, yeah, I watch every Jet game. Yeah, I'm a lifelong Giant fan. I don't root against the Jets. It's pointless for me. But there's a demeanor change there the last couple of weeks. And I know losing sucks. Winning tends to cure all, as they say in sports, right? Jets haven't done a lot of that the last month. And I think a lot of this, everything's always going to fall on what? Two things in the NFL. The head coach and the quarterback. Head coach, quarterback. In that order. At least that's the way it should be. Jet fans have been loving to pound on Zach Wilson, and I get it. But go back to that Lions game. That's on you, coach. That is 100% undeniably on the head coach of your franchise who's been a doormat like their crosstown rivals, the Giants, for the last bunch of years. And after going 7-4 and four, and then riding this four-game losing streak, losing to the Vikings and the Bills on the road, that's forgivable. I know people aren't believers in the Vikings, but that's not an easy building to go in and play. The Dallas Cowboys beat them 40-3 to earlier in the day. That's an unbelievable anomaly. And if the Colts weren't a complete dumpster fire, they don't blow that 33-point lead at the break last week. So losing to, and the Vikings locked up their division. Buffalo's going to the playoffs. Detroit's got a really good chance to go. But you still can't lose that game to the Lions at home. And then just a complete tap out Thursday night at home against the Jaguars. My opinion, the season's over. You look to the future here, what's that look like for the Jets? Two games left, Seattle, Miami. With this Jets roster, winnable games with decent quarterback play. They don't even have decent quarterback play unless Mike White comes back. But do you want to put him out there in a position where he can get knocked around and have serious, serious damage done? I don't think so. I don't know that I would do that with this Jets front office. Put this guy out there. But and here's the other thing. This Jets offensive line in the last couple weeks has crumbled. I know not having consistently Elijah Vera Tucker stinks. But you got to come up with something better. I mean, for Christ's sake, even the Giants have figured out what to do on the offensive line. You got to move guys around. You got to move guys around. Layout Collins uh, and Tyron Smith, you know, Guys in their career with the very good Dallas Cowboy offensive line were always open to moving. Matter of fact, Smith moved to the right side for Dallas because it was better for the offensive line. I, just, just to me now, it just seems, 
And if I'm sure if I'm a Jet fan, I, I have that. Uh, we've read this book before. I know how this chapter ends. I know how this book's going to end. This seems familiar. And it's unfortunate because there were a lot of very, very good things, things to be excited about with the Jets. Number one, Brees Hall, the rookie running back from Iowa State. The kid is an absolute stud. And what happened seizing in the injury a couple of months ago? Heartbreaking. Doesn't matter who you root for. That's terrible. That's bad for football when things like that happen. But that's someone you can look forward to in the future. A lot of Jet fans, are, they, they still like Black, Braxton Berrios. They want to see him more involved. Elijah Moore, you want to see him more involved. This defense, talk about it. This is a historical turnaround. From the bottom of the AFC, bottom of the NFL in, in defensive metrics last year to now being a top 10 unit. Impressive stuff. But there's decision-making across the board that leaves a lot to be desired, and that starts with the head coach. Came in with a defensive background. That's great. Clean up the defense. But it's a two-way street, three-way street. You got to go three ways. Offense, defense, special teams. And it just seems that no matter what the Jets do, no matter who they sign, no matter who they draft, they cannot figure out the quarterback position. Trending in the right direction when it was Mike White. What happens? He gets hurt. Put Wilson back in. What happens? Booed. Terrible play. Missing receivers. Threw a couple balls at the feet of his receivers the other night on second and third down. Not good. Can't happen. Young guy like that mobile, use your legs. Keep plays alive. Decision making. Problematic territory for the New York Jets uh, at this time. And we're having completely different conversation than we were the last couple of weeks. Even after, I would say, even after that loss to Detroit. All right, let's take care of business against a good Jacksonville team. And they didn't show up. And the the Mike White injury is going to be serious when team doctors outside of the organization won't even clear him. So I don't know that I'd be expecting to see Mike White anytime soon. And he's going to play, and the Jets are going to play two good defenses the next two weeks to end the season, Seattle and Miami. You're in the quarterback market again, Jet fans. Like it or lump it. Maybe it's Mike White in the future, but the Jets have a quarterback issue once again, an issue I feel like never truly went away. And some of the teams you, you, you think you have to leapfrog, the Jaguars, who now have the tiebreaker, the Patriots are seven and seven and eighth. So this is tough sledding because both of those teams have the tiebreaker. Pats beat them twice. Jags beat them Thursday. And you got Miami, Los Angeles, and Baltimore at seven, six, and five right now in that playoff picture. I'll tell you what's going to be fun in, in the AFC South is this race between Tennessee uh, and Jacksonville. It's something to keep an eye on moving forward with a couple of weeks left in the season. We'll get into that um, with my picks uh, in, in a little bit. 9.20 on the East Coast Sports Today with Peter J. Appreciate you all tuning in um, with texts, uh, tweets, reaching out via social media on this new platform, Podbean Live. It's great. Uh, I, 
been a pleasure to be part of it. Um, so at any time, um, chime in. You can hit the listen button. And then if you're listening through the Podbean app, all you got to do is call in, click the button. Your name pops up, put you on the air, and we chat a little bit. So we started with the Jets. Obviously not a good situation um, at MetLife Stadium with this New York Jet team. But it's a little bit of a different situation now with the New York Giants. Giants were teetering a couple of weeks ago. Didn't look good uh, Thanksgiving against the Cowboys. You go back even before that, sloppy on the road in Seattle, where the offense was you know running in mud, basically. They played to a tie with the Commanders at home a couple of weeks ago. Now you get a big game after getting blown out by the Philadelphia Eagles uh, two weeks ago. With a, with, a, with a roster that was just third, fourth string all the way. But you still can't lay that type of an egg at home against a division rival. I'm sorry. Jalen Hurts probably going to win the MVP. Eagles might be the favorite to win the Super Bowl. You, can't, you cannot lay an egg like that at home. Now you got to go back on the road and play the same commander's team you saw 14 days prior. And play to a tie with. Giant fans know this team hasn't made the playoffs since 2016. Giant fans know that the last couple of seasons, late in games, this team's been abysmal. Can't close out. Insane thing. Drop passes, fumbles, interceptions, defensive holding calls. My God, how many of those have we seen? Special teams blunders. Giant fans know enough to say, we might be walking into a little bit of a trap here with this game Sunday night, last Sunday, against Washington. Because what's what's the rhetoric been? Oh, we need the game. Need the game to keep the season alive. Now, as it turned out with Seattle's loss, the Giants and Washington still would have been in playoff position regardless of the outcome. But how many times in, in recent history have you seen the Giants lose this game, show up, get their doors blown off? didn't happen. They were physical. They played intelligent football. And they controlled that clock. No mistakes. That was the biggie. 20 to 12, the victory on the road over the commanders led by the defense. Daniel Jones precise in that game as well. Good gritty running from Saquon Barkley. Impressive victory last week in an old-school type NFC East contest. The win moved the Giants into sixth place in the present NFC playoff standings, which is big. 8-5-1 overall. So they got a little bit of a leg up now on the Commanders. Seattle right behind them. Seattle's got the tiebreaker over the Giants. The Lions at 7-7, seven and seven, as are, as are the, the, the Seahawks. Detroit also has the tiebreaker over the Giants. And then Green Bay at 6-8. and eight. Giants beat the Packers earlier in the season. That game was in London. So you got the tiebreaker over the Packers, who have a big game Sunday night uh, against the Dolphins. But you watch that Giant game last Sunday. That's the type of defense that I think you expect the Giants to bring. In-your-face physical get-to-the-quarterback, blitzing football unrelenting and a monster coming out party for Kayvon Thibodeau, the rookie from Oregon. Fifth overall pick in the past draft. 
I mean, that kid was unbelievable. He was unstoppable. That was the definition of unstoppable. Young LT. He couldn't be stopped. For those of you Giant fans who just gasped for, for your lives, I'm not saying he is or will be LT. But I'm saying in that moment, he was unstoppable, a la Lawrence Taylor, the GOAT. Strip sack, force fumble, scoops it up in the end zone, touchdown Giants. That's the trifecta. I mean, that was incredible to watch that happen when the Giants needed it the most. And he had made a a really big play in similar fashion a couple of weeks ago at MetLife against the same commander's team where he almost knocked it out of the hands of Heineke in overtime. That would have ended the game. I think the Giants have found their pass rusher that they've been longing for since Justin Tuck, Michael Strahan, and Osi. And I'll tell you the other thing about Kayvon Thibodeau. How much better does he make Aziz Ojolari? Wow. Up front with Leonard Williams and then Sexy Dexy? Wow. Because Dexter Lawrence, you talk about unstoppable. This man's a beast. Named to the Pro Bowl along with Saquon Barkley. No Pro Bowl for Andrew Thomas. I thought that was a little bit absurd, but the, the Pro Bowls become absurd. But the way the Giants played Sunday night on the road, I think gives Giant fans that time to pause and reflect and say, okay, this is the team of the future. Future's bright. No more lame ducks. You got blown out at home the week before. Every reason for people to think specifically Giant fans that you were going to get knocked around on the road against a good Washington team, a physical Washington team. Didn't happen. Would you like to see more from the offense? Of course. Absolutely. Running game included. I'd like to see more Matt Breida, quite honestly, to spell Saquon Barkley. Barkley's been great. But give it the change of pace there. Hit him with both. There's part of your recipe for success, in my opinion. How about a little more Gary Brightwell? 9-10 carries a game for Brightwell, too much to ask? Had him back there returning kicks? Give him a shot a little more. Give him that opportunity. I mean, if you could develop a three-headed monster against an offensive line that's really improved, quicker than most expect. I mean, I'm blown away at the development of this offensive line. Whether it's somebody like Tyree Phillips, Brent, uh, Ben Bredesen plays well. By the way, uh, today, Minnesota, 1 o'clock, Christmas Eve, Shane Lemieux's out. Shane Lemieux should never play football for the Giants ever again. He is one of the most horrific offensive linemen I think I've ever seen in my life. How he played football at Oregon for four years is, is beyond me. So we don't need to see Lemieux anymore. The makeup of this offensive line bookended by the fact he got Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal. You don't hear Evan Neal's name on TV very much. That's good, folks. That means he's doing the right things. That kid graduates school. Yes, you know this kid? To a a principal or an assistant principal? No, it doesn't ring a bell. That's probably because the kid was a good kid. He stayed out of the nonsense. Evan Neal is staying out of the nonsense the last couple of weeks since he's been back and healthy. And it's a good thing. And you see this offensive line is taking shape. Like to see a little more consistency at the center position from John Feliciano. 
as the veteran. But they're doing a good job. They're protecting the quarterback as well. And that's been the hot-button issue going into next season. The play of Saquon Barkley, the play of Daniel Jones, what do you do with them? Can't tag them both. I mean, franchise tag for an NFL quarterback is going to be upwards of $40 million. So you know the Giants ain't tagging Jones. I mean, that that would that would be uh, fall out of your chair. Shocking. Phil Simms said earlier in the week that he believes, especially after Sunday's game, that Daniel Jones has shown enough to be given that contract. I agree with Sims. If, and here's the if, it's, it does have to be a reasonable contract. We cannot, you cannot totally eliminate stats in this. Jones is protecting the ball much better. I get that. That's great. But there are some things that even the weakest-minded football fan might see and go, this guy's not it, i.e. the fumble at midfield opening drive a couple weeks ago at home against the commanders when the Giants are on the move. Turn it over. Washington turns it into points. They jump out eventually to a 10-0 lead. So it's the silly turnovers that get you. But. The way he moves in the pocket, the way he keeps plays alive with his legs, he finds receivers. I thought Daniel Jones had the best game Sunday against Washington that I've seen him play. And I mean that, and I am not exaggerating. Some of the throws he made on third and long and that fourth and seventh throw to Richie James, that's real deal. Not every quarterback in the league can do that, folks. That can't be dismissed. So if, if you don't think Daniel Jones should be given a contract for the future, that's your opinion. That's fine. Sports is all about opinion anyway. But it can't be. No more can we just say, oh, he stinks. That crap's over. Giants are an 8-5-1 without Daniel Jones. And Saquon Barkley. And you got to be careful, too, with what you're giving running backs. You want Bell? I mean, look at Dallas. Everybody thought Zeke was teetering, you know, going the other direction. He looks pretty good because he's got Tony Pollard there, who's a stud. Can we get a little more from Matt Breida? Maybe some Gary Brightwell? Shock the system a little bit here? Mike Kafka's shown the ability to be creative with Brian Dable. Be, be a little more creative. The London game, they ran... The tight end, Daniel Bellinger, ran one in. That's creativity. Let's see some of these other backs. Because if this team makes the playoffs, they're going to need that run game. They're going to need the legs of Jones and Barkley. Let's keep them fresh here, moving forward. I'd like to see more Brita. I can't state it enough. But as far as Jones is concerned, yeah, there are things that, yeah, that happen that... And anytime Daniel Jones does something that might be perceived as questionable, Giant Nation's going to overreact. I see it every week. God love him with my uncle. It's an over, and I get it. it. There were overreactions with Eli Manning, and all he did was go on to win two Super Bowls. I get it. You should watch a Notre Dame game with me on Saturday. All I do is overreact. Or a Yankee game. Nitpick. 
Watch the Knicks game last night. We'll talk about the Knicks and the Nets a little bit later. I had plenty to say with that fourth quarter display by the Knicks. That's what you do. So they call us fans, fanatics, right? We're fans. We're fanatic. Nobody ever accused sports fans of being rational. But I think there's too much overreaction anytime something doesn't go right with Daniel Jones. I'm not excusing the fumble against uh, Washington a couple weeks ago, nor some of those throws that he made late, squeezing him into windows. But quarterbacks do things like Aaron Rodgers throws balls that make you scratch your head. Threw one last week against the Rams that that just was mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Looking for Christian Watson. And there were two Ram defenders around him. I didn't even see Watson until the replay. So what happens? But would I be comfortable with Daniel Jones as my quarterback in the New York Giants next three, four years? Yes. Get him some help. Go into the draft. Don't reinvent the wheel. Whatever pick you have in the first round, go get your wide receiver. Ohio State's got about 50 of them that are coming out. Jackson Smith and Jigba, who was coming off an injury, he should be available. You want to bulk up at tight end? Go go grab the mayor kid from Notre Dame. That'd be a nice one-two punch with him and and Bellinger. You bring him back and you bulk up. You keep Slayton here. Richie James, I think, has been a revelation. Richie James is, is the perfect example that Brian Dable gives chances. There's no permanent doghouse. James was awful. Punt returning in Seattle with two costly fumbles. A couple of weeks ago, he's returning punts again. He's a go-to guy on third down, out, uh, out of the slot, out on the boundary. That's good coaching. It's trusting your players. And it's those guys stepping up to make big plays, even after a blunder. We've seen Jones do it. We've seen Barkley do it. I like the makeup of this team. I Heartache, yes, at some points, watching this Giants campaign. But man, has this been a fun ride because it's been unexpected. But there's good coaching once again with Big Blue. And that cannot be understated. This is a staff that knows what it's doing. You've got an owner who now allows his GM, Joe Shane, to do what he should do. And that's big. That's big time. When you have that capability to be able to make decisions and not have to worry about what your owner is going to breathe down your neck. Huge. Giants are in good shape. And if the Giants win today, it goes a long way in locking up a potential playoff berth. For the Giants, a win today, 1 o'clock in Minnesota. More on that in a minute. Coupled with a few things. It's a few scenarios. Giants haven't been to the playoffs since 2016. So Big Blue Nation's chomping at the bit here. A Giants win today, plus a Washington and Detroit loss, gets the Giants in the postseason. A Giant win today with a Washington and a Seattle loss gets the Giants in the postseason. Or the third scenario, the Giants win today in Minnesota, Detroit loses, Seattle loses. So you've got a couple scenarios there that you're rooting for. It all starts with a Giants win. Now, a loss isn't disastrous. You're going to go out to a Minnesota team that's going to the playoffs. They're in. They've already locked up the division. What's going to be interesting to see with Minnesota today 
is how they handle their bulk guys. Dalvin Cook, is he on a pitch count? Justin Jefferson's got some milestones within reach. Will he be on a pitch count? Fabian Moreau, who's had a great year for the Giants uh, on the outside at corner, is probably going to be responsible for Jefferson today. How much does he go? Is it the full gamut for Kirk Cousins? This could also be a potential playoff preview. Could the Giants and the Vikings wind up meeting in the postseason? Highly possible. There is a, I think it's like a 0.3% chance that Minnesota would win the one seed, but it would take an epic collapse by the Eagles. I know Hertz isn't playing today, but you could do worse as a backup than Gardner Minshew, who's played well. We've seen it last year. He had good rapport with his tight end, Dallas Goddard. Um, so I, I wouldn't expect that the Vikings keep their starters at the entire length of this game, but you never know. You never know. Giants got to be ready to play regardless. A win in the National Football League is a win. It's not college. There's no style points. Shouldn't be style points in college anyway, but that is a separate issue. Take care of business on the road in Minnesota today. Even with those other outcomes, Giants win today, they're going to the playoffs. Let's call it what it is. They win today, they're going to the playoffs. That help will come. As you got Seattle playing uh, Kansas City. The Lions play the Panthers. Washington plays the Niners. A lot can happen in the NFL. We know that. But at 8-5-1, sixth in the NFC on December 24th, 2022, raise your hand if you saw that coming. As I sit here, my hands are down. I didn't either, realistically. Man, has this been fun. And I'm really looking forward to um, what's in store with this huge Saturday slate and specifically uh, what the Giants have uh, in the fold coming up. It's been an incredible ride, and it's not going to end anytime soon, I don't think. All right, so 9.40 on the East Coast Sports Today with Peter J. I appreciate you all um, tuning in. Get some likes on the page already. Some people uh, chiming in via text. That's the nice thing about this mainframe. You can send me messages, public or private. A lot of agreement here with Jet Nation. The future of the quarterback spot for the Jets. Yeah, I know. It's interesting. We talked a lot about it. It's not good. It's not pretty. My opinion, Zach Wilson's career in in green, at least least here in New New York, New Jersey, is over. So the Jets are going to have those decisions to make. Mike White? Maybe. Got to see more. He's hurt. Draft? Likely. It's going to be some interesting stuff um, moving forward with the New York Jets uh, that I that I know um, their entire fan base is uh, is chomping at the bit to see. Well, where do we go from here? Big week. We know that in the National Football League, every week's a big week. You get down to this time of the season. Week 16. Wow. This is when it gets fun, folks. Plus, we're in college football postseason. The bowls, the the college football playoff coming up. Wow, this is... And college basketball. It's like the perfect storm. So we got kick-started Thursday night with the Jets-Jags game. That was part of my uh, five-team parlay this week. 
uh, that I'll fill you in on before I give you my picks. All right, this is a little uh, preview, a little appetizer, if you will. Went straight money line this week with my bet. $50 wager to win $465 and change. Last week, I laid out three money lines and a spread. I wanted the Lions, the Chargers, and the Giants with the Rams covering against Green Bay. Bold move, I know. I get the first three, so I'm looking good. Aaron Donald's out a second week. I see that. I said, there's no way. Let me check what the cash out was. Rams cover, I win 1100 bucks. Rams didn't cover. I cashed out to the tune of 650 So I took the 650 bucks on a $50 bet and didn't complain. Rams didn't cover. They lost 24-12. This week, on the money line, I went Jags over the Jets. I got that Thursday. That was a no-brainer. 19-3 Jacksonville made him look silly. Come on. You kidding me? Jacksonville. Easy. I got the Ravens on the money line over the Falcons. Five-team Paulette. Bengals. On the road over the Patriots. Lions. Give me the Lions. I'm on the bandwagon. Over the Panthers. And then the Bills on the money line over the Bears. So that's where I'm going this week with my parlay. $50 wager to win 465 44 We'll see what happens. They offered me a cash out last night after Jacksonville beat the Jets. It was like 70 bucks. I'm going to let it ride. Big Saturday slate. Atlanta goes to Baltimore. Just said it as part of my bet slip. I'm going Ravens here. I know Huntley is still in play for, uh, for Lamar Jackson. Hey, by the way, how about Huntley getting voted to the freaking Pro Bowl? <laughs> He's played as like the fourth alternate. He's played in two games. Come on, Andrew Andrew Thomas, as probably the best left tackle in football, doesn't make the Pro Bowl, but a freaking backup quarterback who's played in two games is now uh, now an, an alternate reserve to go. Uh, give me a break. I, I know the Pro Bowl is like it's all games now. They play like they have like agility contest. There's no more you know contact and all that jazz. But give me a break. Um, so yeah, I like the Ravens at home. It's a big game for Baltimore moving forward, confidence-wise, to see how they can stay head above water without Jackson going into the playoffs. Give me Baltimore at home over Atlanta. Buffalo goes to Chicago. And folks, you've been outside on the East Coast or in the Midwest. Storms are blowing through. I'll tell you how cold it got here this morning in New York City. I'm in Staten Island. I get in the shower this morning, and I've got a, you know, my windows need replacing anyway. So if anybody, the, the New York metro area, you're a window guy or girl, you, you, you got some deals, give me, a, give me a call. It got so cold outside because of yesterday's rain and the overnight temperatures dropping below zero that there was frost and ice on the inside of my bathroom window. Never seen it before. Think I need new windows? Probably. Give me a call. Give me a deal. So I got Baltimore over Atlanta, Buffalo on the road over Chicago. Two cold weather teams. Justin Fields playing out of his mind, but Chicago's defense is not your quintessential monsters in the midway. I like Buffalo here on the road. Josh Allen need a big game. I'm in the fantasy semis as well. I need a big game from him. So I'm going Bills over the Bears in Chicago. Cincinnati goes to New England. It's gonna be a fun game. I mean, New England did one of the dumbest things in the history of all sports. Peewee, junior high, high school, college pro. One of the dumbest things I have ever seen in my life. In a tie game, you know what I'm talking about by now. It's highly publicized. And that could happen to a Bill Belichick team blows my mind. Throwing a lateral across the field 
in a tie game on the road with time expiring. And that lateral across the field is intended for your starting quarterback who got absolutely crushed on the play by Chandler Jones, who picked it up and ran it back for the game-winning touchdown. I mean, SportsCenter does a not top 10 every week. That should be number one for the rest of eternity because that was the most egregious, insane, insulting things I've ever seen take place regarding football, the actual playing of football on a football field. We've seen some horrendous things. But as far as football concerned, that lateral last week with Jacoby Jones, Ramondre Stevenson, and Mac Jones, Jacoby Myers, I'm sorry, horrendous. Cincinnati goes to New England and slams the door on them. I like Detroit on the road in Carolina. I know Carolina's kind of teetering there. They're on the fence. Still not out of it, but they're 5-9. You know, they're, they're not going anywhere. Detroit on the road. The Lions playing good football. Jared Goff's got it going. I like them on the road in Carolina. I thought about this next game. Some of you may call me crazy, but the Tennessee Titans have not looked good the last five weeks, folks. They're home today against a really bad Houston team. Jacksonville's already won. So now they're percentage points behind Tennessee in the AFC South. Houston goes to Tennessee. I'm going Tennessee here. I think it's three and a half that line. Man, I would I stayed I stayed away from this as far as my bet slips are concerned. But as outright straight up win loss pick, I'm going Tennessee here at three and a half. Houston may cover. You could be looking at a 17-16, 13-10 game. I wouldn't be running to the TV to watch this game. Maybe Jacksonville fans will. But this is going to be a slog fest. Tennessee close. New Orleans goes to Cleveland. Now you got an interesting one here as well. And, And how this plays out. Uh, moving forward, because Cleveland's not totally dead in the water here either, which is why I'm going to go Browns. Browns at home on Christmas Eve over the Saints. Giants today, Minnesota, 1 o'clock. And I just, I, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't be doing the right thing if I didn't bring this up. And I didn't know until I woke up this morning there was a shooting at the Mall of America in Minnesota. Um, anybody's ever been to that mall, it's, it's, it's monstrous. It's it, the Mall of America, the biggest mall in the country. Uh, and there was a, a, a terrible shooting at the mall specific details I don't know there were giant players there shop probably doing holiday shopping uh, this morning uh, Giants communications president Pat Hanlon said the entire team is accounted for at their hotel that's great the bad news is a 19 year old is dead um, from that shooting at the, at the Minnesota Mall of America details continue to come out uh, I saw it this morning at about 6.30 a.m. Um, tough stuff especially this time of the season and somebody died all right, senselessly, pointlessly. So um, that's what had taken place in Minnesota. Uh, as far as the impact on the game, uh, players were accounted for, at least on the Giants' side. Uh, they released that statement earlier, um, so there was no no, no harm or, or, or foul there. Uh, back to the game at hand at 1 o'clock. I'm going to go Giants here. Uh, Minnesota's favored by, I think I think it's 4.5 when I looked last about an hour and a half ago. Um 
injury-wise, no Lemieux. It doesn't look like uh, the Giants are going to have um, Xavier McKinney back, with, you know, which is which hurts. Um, still banged up back in that secondary. But look, you're going to go up against the best receiver in football today, in Justin Jefferson. How much this first team unit on both sides of the ball for Minnesota is going to play, we don't know. Because again, Kevin O'Connell and the head coach of Minnesota, they've already locked up the division. Nobody's going to come out and say, we're going to, we're going to sit guys. It'd be absurd. You got to drop the game. But you got to protect you guys as well with the postseason looming. I like the Giants here. Healthy up. I think this might be an opportunity. Give the Jones the time you've been giving him because you know he can keep plays alive with his legs. This Minnesota secondary, folks, is not good. Let's get uh, James into open space. Darius Slayton into open space. Maybe you could get Bellinger more involved since he's been back kind of quiet. I like the Giants here. It's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a fun one. But give me the G-Men on the road uh, as they take one step closer to locking up their first postseason berth since 2016. Seattle goes to Kansas City. Every Giant fan in the world root for KC here, and I like them. What they've been able to do out of the backfield, led by Jarek McKinnon lately, this Kansas City team, I mean, it's like a kid in a candy store. They, it's, it's an abundance of riches. With Mahomes, who's probably the 1B to the 1A of Jalen Hurts in the MVP conversation with, with Josh Allen behind them, uh, Kansas City's just got weapons galore. Uh, and I like them at home uh, this weekend. Washington, here's another game. You're a Giant fan. You're rooting for San Francisco. The Commanders, this is not an easy task going to San Fran. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, right? The last pick in the draft a couple years ago via Iowa State. Playing good football. Since Jimmy G's gone down, he's taken the reins rather nicely. Plus, he's got CMC back there with Christian McCaffrey. I mean, it's about as unstoppable as they come in a running back position when things are going well. San Francisco with that defense is very dangerous. They've once again become a very major Super Bowl threat. So I like the Niners over the Commanders. Philly goes to Dallas. I know no Jalen Hurts. But I still like Philly here on the road. I, I don't trust Dallas in December. Plus, nothing makes me happier when the Dallas, than the Dallas Cowboys lose. I love it. I look forward to it. It makes my day. When the Cowboys lose... Especially when they lose in like in dumb, dumb ways. Like last week against Jacksonville, Prescott just throwing it up and getting picked off pick six to end the game. That's heaven for me. And then the Giants win Sunday night. It's great. Sometimes I don't know if I enjoy the Giants winning more or Dallas losing more. And I'm not trying to speak positively of the Philadelphia Eagles here. But I like Philly on the road. Gardner Minshew, under center, no Jalen Hurts. This is not a long-haul injury for Jalen Hurts, folks. It's precautionary. There's no reason he would need to play tonight anyway. Philly on the road with Minshew. Dallas Goddard back, the starting tight end. He's plug and play. I like Philly. I trust Philly on the road in Dallas. Vegas goes to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's playing better. I'm going to go Pittsburgh in that one. Interesting time of the season. Pittsburgh's got some quarterback controversies of its own. And I know Vegas has looked okay. They, they got the emotional win and the blunder by the Patriots last week. Give me the Steelers at home. Christmas weekend. Why not? Green Bay goes to Miami. I am all over Miami on this one. All over Miami. 
I don't trust Green Bay at all. Their defense, Rodgers. I just can't see a situation here when it's too important. It's important for both teams. They're both still alive. But to have Green Bay go on the road to Miami tomorrow, Christmas Day at 1 o'clock, I just don't see it. I think Miami's going to be too physical, and I don't know that Green Bay's defense has an answer for Tua or, or uh, Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill. So give me Miami at home over Green Bay. Denver goes to the Rams. Ugh. Ugh. It seems like the worst games of the week now involve Denver, who, who is an unwatchable football team, and then either the second, third, worst, or fourth team in the league, which is right now the Rams. And they're just complete disarray at quarterback. I'm going to go Denver here, but I'm not confident about it. Because the Broncos are just, it, it, they're an unwatchable football team. Give me Denver on the road over the Rams. Close, low scoring. Tampa Bay, biggie for them. In a really lousy NFC South. Goes to Arizona. Not a tough place to play. Arizona's got its own problems. I'm going to go Tom Brady and Tampa here. Last game, the Monday night game. Chargers go to the Colts. Yeah, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I would have said Indianapolis is you know, still in a mix here. Jeff Saturday may be bringing some life. And then they go up 33-0 last week at Minnesota at halftime and lose the freaking game. How does that happen? How does that happen? Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota offense were giving Indianapolis the game for the first 30 minutes. 33-0 at halftime. The Colts led. And they lost the game. You should not allow it to exist as an NFL franchise when things like that happen. Chargers go to the Colts. I would be completely blown away if the Chargers lost this game. Confidently. Give me the Chargers. You need a Monday night uh, total if you're in a tiebreaker league like I am. Uh, 44 is what I'm going with. Your total score... Uh, 44 uh, if you're in one of those tiebreaker leagues like I am. So listen, I mean, th this is this is huge. Uh, do I love the fact that a lot of these games are on Saturday? No. I mean, why? The NFL always has to one-up itself, it seems. So we got a huge Saturday slate and then good games tomorrow. Uh, I got off to a good start with Jacksonville. I like Baltimore over Atlanta, Buffalo over Chicago, Cincy to take down New England, and Detroit on the road over Carolina. Tennessee and Cleveland to win. I like the Giants on the road today in Minnesota. Kansas City and San Francisco to take down Seattle and Washington, respectively. I like Philly on the road in Dallas. Pittsburgh, I like them over Vegas. Miami to take down Green Bay. Then in, the, in, in just a snooze fest, give me Denver over the Rams. Tampa over Arizona. And then your Monday nighter, I like the Chargers confidently over Indianapolis. So that's the Week 16 slate, folks. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. And there's really never any bad weeks in the NFL, right? Um, but locally, if you're in the New York metro area, heartbreak again Thursday night from the Jets. And you got a biggie today for the Giants. Giants win with some help. They're in the playoffs. All right? So root against the Commanders, root against the Seahawks, root against the Lions. And obviously the Giants got to take care of business. And that was our uh, Week 16 slate 
uh, in the National Football League, and it was a good one, all right? Um, 9.56 on the East Coast here, Sports Today with Peter J. I appreciate you, you joining me, everybody checking in. Um, you can also follow us on social media, sub- sub- subscribe at any time. You can leave your reviews, reach out um, at Peter JM on on Twitter. We're always here. Uh, any any questions you have, uh, any, any thoughts? I know some of you have been uh, messaging me throughout this broadcast on the Podbean platform, which I love. I'm so happy I made this transition. It's helped me and, and us, the, the listeners, um, take this and expand it out um, to the Apple platform, uh, which is huge. So um, I'm going to be uploading today's broadcast later on Apple. It should hit around um, 11. I'd like to get it posted by 11, 1130. So then it's there and it exists for the week if, if anybody wants to reflect back or you can save it um, in your Apple app as you can with the Podbean app. If you download the Podbean app, you create an account. We can chat live back and forth. The only way to chat live on the Podbean app is to get through the app. So if you download the app and create your account, everything's free. And you can be with me every Saturday uh, at the usual start time of 11 a.m. on the East Coast. So let's shift gears here. Um, I want to talk about what's going on in, in Major League Baseball. Um, these hot stove updates. We know Judge is back in the Bronx. The Yankees in Carlos Rodon. That's a huge deal. The Carlos Correa to the Mets move was shocking would be an understatement. I mean, the way that unfolded, San Francisco's got their shortstop of the future. Swinging and missing on Aaron Judge. I don't know that there was anybody really that ever thought um, Aaron Judge was going to sign with San Francisco. Uh, Some false reporting came out that didn't help the situation, which is a no-no. Because all these beat writers want to be, and and these breaking news reporters are are, are so hell-bent on being the first person to break a story. How about you just get it right? And those of you who follow know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not going to name drop here. Just get it right. Doesn't matter if you have it first, if the information is wrong. With the tweets that said Aaron Judge is going to sign with the Giants. No. You better be damn certain that the information that you put out on your social media page, when you've got 600, 700, 800,000 people following you, diehard baseball fans, that what you put out is correct. Otherwise, you're a jackass. So the Giant fans got spurned twice. No judge. They thought they had him due to lousy reporting. And then they had Correa. And the Giants didn't feel comfortable with his physical. He opts out and signs with the Mets. And Correa just recently did his two-day physical with the Mets. They're waiting for the results. Uh, I think the physical actually went through last night. Um, So the signing will become official once, I guess, Correa comes back from Houston. Um, but Correa and the Mets brass agreed to 12 years, 315 million. So this guy fails a physical with San Francisco, which they are calling a difference of opinion between Giants officials, Correa, his agent, Scott Boris, so, I mean, the, the questions fly when you mention Boris's name. But the bottom line is the Mets swept in. You don't have to like Steve Cohen. And the best thing about Steve Cohen is he doesn't care what anybody thinks of him other than Mets fans. 
you know what? That's a good owner. That's a good owner. What I will say for the trajectory and landscape of baseball, you ask any baseball fan, what comes to mind when you when you think when you when when I say teams spending money? Teams spend a lot of money to win championships. What's the what's the first team you're gonna think of? The New York Yankees. Maybe now, maybe the Dodgers, but the Yankees. The A-Rods of the world. Uh swooping in, getting Paul O'Neill to bring him over from Cincinnati. Uh Jason Giambi. The, 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 the list goes on and on. Kevin Brown, Randy Johnson. All of the big name guys, Garrett Cole, CC Sabathia, all the big names they brought in with the dollar, right? Mark Teixeira, AJ Burnett. I don't know that that was good for baseball then, because you want to have level playing field across the board for competitive balance. That's what it's called, competitive balance. But I think now with what's happening here with the Mets, it might be a little overkill. That's just my opinion. I don't know that this is necessarily a good thing. All of this money now invested in these guys, he's got it. Listen, Cohen in my corner as a team owner, any day of the freaking week, this guy wants to win, and he hasn't been quiet about it. But what's left out there when you invest almost a billion dollars into a handful of players? When you've already got Lindor on the roster, and eventually going to have to pay uh, Alonzo. Diaz inked back for a monster deal. Now the Correa deal. Mets are going to be, I mean, Justin Verlander got a mega contract for a couple of years. After uh, missing out on re-signing Jacob DeGrom, which I didn't think was going to happen anyway. I don't think most people did. Plus, he got a fat contract. In Texas. So it's just interesting to see how quickly this happened and what impact this now will have um, on baseball and spending moving forward. I live in New York. I think it's cool what the Mets are doing. If I'm a Mets fan, I'm all I'm all juiced up. Long term. Baseball-wise, league-wise, I don't know. To have teams like the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Red Sox just in control of things because of their wallet. You know, I I know they do, you know, things with with the draft and you have the the, the luxury tax to help balance things out. I, I don't know that that's enough. I will say this, to have Correa at third and Lindor at short is, pr- is a pretty damn good left side of the infield for the Mets. Um, and I, I would be not surprised at all to learn that the Mets aren't done. You, know, you read the other day that the Yankees aren't done. Might be in the market. They're talking to Brian Reynolds. They need another outfielder out in Pittsburgh making a trade for him. I mean, you had in the be- in the beginning of baseball free Asian, it, you know, teams were looking to take bloated contracts that they had, move them in order to land the big free agents. Well, the interesting thing now that the Mets have done that successfully, right? The Yankees made the big splash with Judge. They go get Rodon. I, I think that's check, check for the Yankees. You know, Yankee Nation, you get so wrapped up with what the, the team, you play the Mets four times a year. 
Who cares what they do? You don't base your offseason, success or failures, or anywhere in between on what another team does. Unless I guess it's a team in your division. Then I guess ah, maybe we didn't do enough. We got we to gotta keep level footing with this team. We got to do more. I get it. You're a Yankee fan. What, who cares what the Mets do? You're a Mets fan. Who cares what the Yankees do? I think the Yankees have had a fine offseason. Not doing it with the panache and the pizzazz that the Mets are. I get it. But you brought your captain back. That's big. Named him captain a couple days ago. That's big news. And you go out and get a premier starter. Which, quite honestly, might even be, might even be more important. Like to see the Yankees move on from freaking Josh Donaldson. And Aaron Hicks, I was a little surprised that Lucas Litke was sent down because they brought Tommy Canely back, which I'm in favor of. Litke at 35 years old, I mean, it, to, to resurrect his career the way he did it. For two years, I thought the guy was great. Now, I think there's good things happening in the Bronx. And I wouldn't be surprised if they go bring in another outfielder, an everyday starter out in the outfield. I, I don't think that's out of the question. It's just my concern is the major market teams throwing their money around. It's happened. The Yankees started the trend. I just don't want it to get out of control. You know, I know there were a lot of big leagues in Major League Baseball, other owners that weren't particularly fond of Steve Cohen anyway. He doesn't care, nor should he. But I do think competitive balance is important. And I hope we can still get that. I hope the Mets are successful. Because they really have no reason not to be now. But I you don't I don't want a situation where you're playing a team in Cincinnati that's gonna win fifty five games every year. Or the Miami Marlins are gonna win sixty games every year. Or small market teams like Tampa, who've done really well the last couple of years, now all of a sudden can't sustain it and they backtrack it. That's all I'm saying. They're not crocodile tears. Man, if I was a team owner, I'd spend what I had. But you just hope it's controlled and regulated to the point where there is fairness. Because isn't it more fun to watch meaningful baseball games each night or meaningful series each night rather than go out to Cincinnati where they've just lost 20 out of 22? That's not fun. So that's all. But it's been a great offseason. Slow to start, but that's because so many of these teams had so many bloated contracts. And now the chips fell. Swanson to the Cubs, Radon to the Yankees, Correa from Houston to Minnesota, Minnesota to the Giants, Giants to the Mets. Verlander to the Mets. Diaz back with the Mets. Interesting stuff. And it's going to continue. Other chips are going to fall. Michael Conforto signed a two-year, $36 million deal um, with the San Francisco Giants yesterday, I believe that was. Um, Oh, San Francisco gets a bat. I don't think it was the bat that they envisioned. But, you know, Conforto, a year out, a year off away from the game, the guy's swing is a work of art. The problem is the ruts he gets in. And I think San Francisco's taking a chance here, but that's a good fit. I think Conforto could be more than productive. I mean, 
18 million years, going to have to be productive. And here's here's something crazy. Joey Gallo was basically minutes away from being out of baseball, and he gets an $11 million deal from the Minnesota Twins. This is a signing that doesn't make much sense to me. I know they want some pop. Uh, Urshela, the Twins traded him to the Angels, their 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 third baseman. Um, so you need you wanted another left-handed slugger uh, to kind of balance out the lineup. Eleven million dollars for Joey Gallo on a one-year deal. The one-year deal is nice. Eleven million. I mean, Yankee fans up close and personal watching Joey Gallo. Guy was awful, painful to watch swing a baseball bat. And he wasn't much better when the Yankees moved him to L.A. So uh, take that for what you will. But that's pretty much what's going on around Major League Baseball with the hot stove update. Um, it'll continue some of the some of the you know the second and third tier guys. Now those chips will start to fall as we creep closer to February with um, pitches and catches reporting. And it's going to be a fun time to see what a lot of these teams have done differently to make their teams better going into a season where the heavy favorites will probably still be the Mets, the Astros, the Dodgers, the Yankees. That's going to be fun. 10-10 on the East Coast Sports Today with Peter J. right here on Podbean Live. Thanks so much for being with me today and every Saturday for our usual start time um, of 11 a.m., a special Christmas Eve start today. With you every week. Sports Today with Peter J. And you've been paying attention to what's been going on with the New York Knicks. I know they went down last night to Chicago. I know it wasn't their best outing of the year. But you've got the Knicks, winners of eight of their last ten. A couple of losses back to back here to Toronto and Chicago. And you got Quentin Grimes is still dealing with his right ankle issues. I get that. And the Bulls, yeah, the Bulls got talent. There's no ball last night, but the Bulls have talent. 14 and 18 after last night's win at MSG. 118, 117. You can see Grimes is still not right with his right ankle. But when the Knicks were in the midst of winning that those eight straight games before dropping the last two, this defense was led by Grimes and Miles McBride. Because I think you finally had an instance where Tom Thibodeau had an awakening. Maybe I should play these young kids. Oh, you think? Only plays them again. Top and gets hurt. Go figure. But to get Grimes back, and he looked good. McBride defensively looking good. RJ Barrett played out of his mind last night to the tune of 44 points. I like, even with the last couple of losses, 18 and 15 overall through 33 games coming into form. Julius Randle looks better. Jalen Brunson looks awesome. I mean, you've got three starters averaging over 20 points a game. I think the frustration that lied, even with Nick fans, 
even with the play of Grimes and McBride, was the way this team was acquitting itself defensively a couple of weeks ago. Because if, if a Tom Thibodeau team is not going to play defense, what's the guy doing here coaching this team? Cleaned it up a little bit. Manuel quickly playing better. You know, Grimes getting 25, 26 minutes a night. Quickly getting 25 minutes a night. You got to get Toppin's minutes up. When he's right. You know, Mitchell Robinson, I know there's frustration with him. Isaiah Hartenstein, uh, I get the frustration there. You know who I like? Off that two-way contract is Jericho Sims. You heard his name in the open. He gives you something. Gives you energy, much like McBride. I mean, they've got talent on this team that can take them places. They really do. Now, you watch what happened last night, late in the game. Kind of fizzling out against Chicago. And you got the Sixers up next tomorrow noon on Christmas. And if you watch that Knicks-Bulls game last night... What more can you say about DeMar DeRozan? Knocking down the jumper, basically at the buzzer, to seal the game for Chicago. Zach Levine, 33 points for the Bulls. Barrett had 44 on, on very efficient shooting, 14 of 20 from the floor, 10 of 13 from the line. I like the direction this Knicks team is heading. If they can continue to play defense at a high clip, at an efficient clip. Fourth in the Atlantic right now, right in that playoff mix. And the interesting thing about the Knicks position now, um, when you take a look at these standings, that eight-game win streak for the Knicks was huge. As it stands today, Christmas Eve, 18 and 15, five games, you know, behind the Celtics. Knicks aren't going to win the East, folks. But the interesting thing with where the Knicks are in the standings, right? They're two games behind Philly for fifth. But then the Bulls, who are 11th, are only three and a half games behind them. So there's still a lot of work left to be done. Obviously, only 33 games into the season for this Knicks team. But I think overall... I think you're pretty happy. But I think one, other than being efficient defensively, Knicks got to play better at home. They're a sub-500 team at home. That can't happen. You've got to protect home court. I appreciate the fact that they play hard and they, and, they, and they win games on the road. That's great. But, I mean, what are your better teams in the East? And then I, we can even talk about the West doing at home. Memphis, second in the West right now, 13-2 and two at home. Phoenix, 14 and 5. They're fourth in the West. Boston, 11 and 5 at home. Uh, I'm sorry, 12 and 5 at home. Cleveland is 16 and 3 at home. Sixers, 14 and 5. Milwaukee, 14 and 3. The Knicks, 8 and 9. 10 and 6 on a road. 8 and 9 at home. Not good. Got to clean it up at home. You go over to Brooklyn, 
the 21 and 12 Nets. I mean, all they've done lately is win. Eight in a row and 12 out of 13. The eight wins in a row ties a Brooklyn Nets record since they've been in Brooklyn. Impressive victory last night over the Bucks. Smacked them around. 13-point lead at the break. Really never looked back 118-100. That's a good Bucks team. Giannis, 26 points. Efficient from the line. Durant with 24 points. I mean, Ante DeCampo has almost had a triple-double. I mean, he's just a walking double-double at this point um, in his career. It's amazing. Durant, 24-5, and five, six assists. Kyrie with 18 and, and six, nine boards. And then Ben Simmons, 28 minutes, 12 points. So you're getting the compliments here off the bench as well from TJ Warren. Warren chipped in last night on five of 11 from the floor. 12 points. Team's rolling. And they're playing good basketball right now. And that's problematic for the rest of the East Conference. As it stands now, Christmas weekend, Nets are two games out of the top spot in the East at 21 and 12. I mean, they're right there. For how bad they were in the beginning of this season, no Steve Nash, the Simmons saga, Kyrie's nonsense, Kevin Durant whining. You know, all things we should be used to by now, but it got out of control. Yeah, but Steve Nash couldn't get far away enough from this team, in my opinion. But they've turned it around. And Jock Vaughn's done a nice job getting things back on track. And it, isn't it awesome that you've got, on Christmas weekend, if you live in the New York metro area, you've got in playoff position, the Giants, the Jets still in there. It's not out of the question. Probably not going to happen. But can, seven and eight Jets. So hovering around 500. I know the Devils have dropped a bit, but the Devils and the Rangers, and then the Knicks and the Nets. And the Islanders still hanging around there. New York sports very relevant, collectively, once again. And it's been great to be a part of. And watch these things continue. So eight in a row for the Nets. The Knicks have won eight out of ten. Nearly dropped two. And they play tomorrow noon Christmas against Philadelphia. Christmas Knicks basketball is always a treat. Always the noon game. Love it. We shift over to the NHL now. You watch this New York Rangers team. I would say, oh, for argument's sake, their last seven, eight games. Teetering with the lineup. Shoring up the lineup. And it worked. Something needed to change at MSG as far as the Rangers were concerned. That much was obvious. What was it? Your lines. Your depth. Where do we put a guy like Kako? In relation to Lafreniere with Panarin, Kreider. 
I mean, the way this team has played the last two weeks, three weeks, has been night and day for how they started this season. Tough loss a couple of nights in Pittsburgh back on the 20th, 3-2. Other than that, seven-game win streak going into that Pittsburgh game. By the way, at that time, the seven-game win streak for the Rangers, the Knicks had also won seven in a row. It's the first time that happened since 94. Pretty significant there if you're a nostalgia person. And then they get a gritty win the other night against the Islanders, who always play the Rangers tough. So the Rangers now have won eight of nine. Moved back up in the standings, 19-11-5, third in the Metro Division. Pretty impressive stuff. For the way that season started, panic mode, who's on the chopping block, who's going to get the axe. I think the way that they've played, specifically in the forecheck department, has real, they've really upped their games. The physicality with what they've played, it's a different team. And this is a team a year removed from a trip to the Eastern Conference Final. That isn't all that different, folks. Yeah, Trocek looked good to start the season. Then he kind of fell off a little bit. Now he's back. He's a perfect fit. We, that can't be understated. And you're getting better play in front of Shesterkin, which is huge. Because you're going to have to go up against the really physical teams from the Atlantic. Teams like Boston, the Lightning, Toronto, even in the Metropolitan Division. Carolina brings a physical brand of hockey. Not much of that should be a surprise. I mean, look what the Penguins are doing. It seems like you can't, the Penguins are a fly on the wall. Can never get rid of them. Sidney Crosby at 35 years old is playing out of his mind. And to the tune of 43 points, third in the Metropolitan Division. Rangers climbing up that ladder. Now with the 43 points at the perfect time. Healthy, playing physical, and they're getting that consistency back between the pipes. Conversely to that is when we talk about the New Jersey Devils. Nobody had the start. The Devils had to the season at 1.14 wins in a row. Pacing the Metropolitan Division for the early part of the season. I mean, they looked unstoppable. It's been a little different now for the Devils. They've dropped six of seven. Where they were scoring in bunches, the goals have come in a premium. I had no answer the other night for David Pasternak in Boston. Boston's very physical. Two-way hockey team. In a 4-3 loss. Because that Boston team's not going anywhere. They might be the most legitimate team, not just in the East, in all of hockey. But I think your overall, the landscape of this Devil season has been good. 22-10-2 can't be dismissed.
But I understand why it, w- it would be frustrating for the Devils fans the last couple, the last stretch. In your last seven games, you only win over Florida. I was on the road. A home loss to Florida, to Philly, to Dallas, to the Rangers, and the Islanders. A lot of hockey left to be played. The good news is going into this Christmas weekend that the Devils are second in the Metropolitan Division. The bad news is recent play hasn't been great. Goal scoring has taken a step back. But you've got two of your three New York hockey teams in postseason position as we go into the new year. The Islanders have dropped two in a row, five of their last six. Sixth in the Metropolitan Division at 19-14-2. and And two of the last three losses to the Rangers and the Avalanche before taking down the Panthers. Their next game on the 27th at home against the Penguins after the, uh, the, the Christmas holiday. And the Islanders have had their issues in the goal-scoring department, but we had that conversation a year ago, didn't we? Wasn't that the issue as good as the Islanders are? Between the pipes, led by Sorokin. And you've got some good score. Bavillier can score goals. The offense needed to step up its game. Early on in the season, it looked to be okay. Falling back a little bit. So I think this whole makeup here, if you're in, in, a fan of New York hockey, specifically the Devils, Rangers, or the Islanders, and it's always to the tune of offense, right? And physicality especially on the East. The West has that reputation for being the physical teams. But some of the hockey I watched it this year, Carolina, Boston, Tampa Bay, speed and and, and power. I mean, I, this Boston team, folks, if you haven't seen them, they're scary good. They are scary good. And they are just blowing people out of the water uh, early on in this in this point of the season. Vegas looks good out West. And I think Winnipeg's a pretty good team as well. But I, 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 to me, I have not seen one team in this league. And it's still early. I get it. But through 33 games, 56 points for the Bruins with 27 wins. Nobody's even close to that. Vegas has 24. But they are a machine right now. And Carolina's won eight in a row. So Rangers Island Devil, Devils, they, they got their work cut out for them. I was a believer in the Rangers at the beginning of the season. That has not changed. There's too much talent on that team. Way too much talent on that team for them to not make a serious, legitimate run at the Cup. I'm not going to buy any of that. Could you shore up the defense a little bit more? Sure. Could you be a little more physical? Been saying that for decades. The Devils are young. And, it, and I know the running joke when I talk to my buddy Pat Pickens from the game day uh, and, and the Associated Press would say that the Devils win the offseason every year. Well, they won it again this year, and maybe it started to come to fruition. I know there's been a little rut, dropping six of seven. But they're still second in the division 
with good young talent on the way up, led by Jack Hughes. So even for the Islanders, if you can get that offense shored up, give me a better one-two combination in the net than the Islanders have. I don't think there is one. And the Devils have been getting good net play as well. But I don't. I think that's the Islanders. Now, Boston's the complete package. Tampa Bay is not to be taken lightly. You go out west, Winnipeg, Dallas looks good. It's going to be a fun year in the National Hockey League. It already is. And it's just going to pick up um, as the season goes along. It is 10.30 out here on the East Coast. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy holidays to you. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Sports Today with Peter J. Special start time today of 9 a.m. And we we kick-started with the Jets and the Giants. I mean, the tale of two teams right now. They were, you know, when you came into the season, and, and I've said it many times because um, I, I just thought it to be true, that have, had you asked me what team had a more realistic shot of making the playoffs, the Jets or the Giants, I, I probably would have said the Jets. Actually, I would have said the Jets. You know, now going into the Week 16 games, Jets have already dropped theirs on Thursday night. looked awful against Jacksonville. And Giants got a huge one today, 1 o'clock, in Minnesota. I mean, Giants' playoff chances right now, I guess if you use those predictor machines, I think it's somewhere close to 90%. If they win today, it jumps up to like 99%. So what's the bottom line? Just win the game. Yeah, you get you win the game and you get some help. You make the playoffs today. That's great. You win today. You got your final home game next week against Indianapolis. Then you end the season. Uh, next week's game in Indy is a 1 o'clock game at Giant Stadium, MetLife Stadium. And then week 18 in Philly, time to be determined. Because that could be a flex game, depending on what's going on. The Jets need a hell of a lot of help and they got to win out. On the road. Both games, Seattle and Miami. So it's going to be fun. Lots going on. The Giants get that win today in Minnesota. I mean, Giant Nation is going to go wild because this would be super ahead of schedule. And the Giants winning today, all it makes me think about is one of my favorite animated movies of all time. All hail the New York Giants! Madagascar. I love that scene. When where are you guys from? We're from we're from New York. Where are you Giants from? Oh, we're from New York. And then everybody goes nuts when they refer to them as the New York Giants. <laughs> was watching that the other day. My daughter was is just enamored with anything in in uh, moving color on the TV screen. Now at four months old, so we had that on, and that that scene gets you every time you watch it. It's great. Uh, so a little after ten thirty here, I want to wrap up the program. If you're a college football fan, this is the best time of the year, right? The New Year's Eve game is going to feature the Final Four. You're going to have Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. National Championship the following week. Best time of the year if you are a college football fan. I mean, I to me... I don't think there's enough bowl games. Some people think there's too many bowl games. But let's think about this. These are kids, right? Sometimes we forget that. 
You go to a bowl game. That's the playoffs. That's the postseason. It's an opportunity to play another football game. Represent your school on national stage. All these bowl games are televised nationally. ESPN, ABC, CBS, whatever it is. So you're going to get the exposure. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. And I'm really looking forward to the football playoff on Saturday, December 31st. It's going to be started 4 p.m. Michigan and TCU. That's the 2-3 matchup in, in Glendale State Farm Stadium. And then in Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, 1v4, Georgia and Ohio State in the Peach Bowl. So the Fiesta and the Peach Bowl serving um, as the, the uh, Final Four this year. And we've had some good action thus far um, with the opening slate of bowl games. Not much going on over this uh, this Christmas weekend. Middle Tennessee State and San Diego State tonight at 8 o'clock on ESPN uh, playing the uh, Hawaii Bowl in Honolulu. That's always a fun one. You can get some scoring in this one uh, between the two states, Middle Tennessee and San Diego. And then we pick things back up with the Quick Lane Bowl uh, Monday, New Mexico State and Bowling Green. But looking forward as we reach the climax of the bowl season with the Final Four and the National Championship game, the bowl games of note, the guaranteed rate bowl game, December 27th. It's a late one because it's in Phoenix, 10-15, Wisconsin-Oklahoma State. You're going to get the Wisconsin defense to get the Oklahoma State offense. You know, I think that'll be a, a pretty interesting game to be watching um, on December 27th. And I got the whole week off. What the hell else am I going to do? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, my wife and I are going to, are going to work out. She started working out again. She looks great and watch football and change diapers. So I got no excuse. I'm going to veg out and watch as much football as I possibly can before I have to go back to school. The Liberty Bowl is going to be a good one also. Kansas and Arkansas. You're going to have some scoring in that game down in Tennessee. And the Holiday Bowl, which is always, always, always an entertaining game. Fox has got it this year. Wednesday the 28th, 8 o'clock, Oregon, North Carolina. Take the over in that game. And if you're throwing money at that game, take the over. The Texas Bowl uh, in Houston, NRG Stadium, 9 p.m. same day. Texas Tech, Ole Miss. Going to get some points in this one as well. Locally, the Pinstripe Bowl, Thursday's December 29th. I've been to this game this year at Syracuse, Minnesota. It's a fun event to go to. If you get the chance to go, I highly recommend it. Yankee Stadium does a great job with it. The field looks beautiful, perfectly manicured. It's a great vibe. I've been to ND games uh, over the years at Yankee Stadium against Army, Syracuse. Um, it's awesome. It's been great. They have high school games there, the PSAL Championship every year at Yankee Stadium. They do a really, really nice job, and this pinstripe bowl is no different. Plus, this year, Syracuse, Minnesota, you get a nice matchup. Thursday the 29th at 2 p.m., that's an ESPN game. Uh, the Cheez-It Bowl, Oklahoma, Florida State on the 29th as well, and then the Alamo Bowl, Texas and Washington. Man, what a sad season for the Longhorns it turned out to be. Um, good recruiting class coming in, so we'll see what uh, Steve Sarkeesian and company um, can do with that one. Look, Friday, December 30th is the the last day, right? The lead up, the final lead into the college football playoff. Uh, the Sun Bowl, Pitt and UCLA going to be a physical game. Uh, the Arizona Bowl, Ohio and Wyoming. People might be dismissive of that. But I think the 430 game there uh, in that Arizona Bowl, you're going to see a couple of teams you know, that can put up points. And specifically, you, you watch this Ohio team 
Uh, a good young quarterback, Curtis Rourke, is a junior from Ontario. Didn't light it up when given time offensively. So I'd be paying attention to that um, Arizona Bowl. You got the Gator Bowl as well. 3.30 in Jacksonville. Notre Dame, South Carolina. Both teams have a couple players that uh, have either entered the portal or are going pro. What you're going to get in this game is both teams are going to play hard. Shane Beamer's done maybe as good a coaching job as has been done in America this year at South Carolina. And Marcus Freeman's in year one at Notre Dame. So uh, you're going to get two teams here that are going to come ready to play, that are going to be prepared, and that are going to give you everything they have. I believe ND's the favorite. I think it's like minus three. That's going to be a close physical game. Looks like Tyler Buckner gets the start for Notre Dame at quarterback. Um, but you could see, uh, you know, a couple different uh, situations there uh, with ND at the QB position moving forward. Michael Mayer, their, their young, young tight end, uh, the 21-year-old, has declared he's going to be a first-round draft pick, so he's not going to play in the game. Um, Isaiah Foskey, their premier pass rusher, has also declared for the NFL. He is also um, not going to play. And then on the other side for South Carolina, Spencer Rattler at the quarterback position. Uh, he's played out of his mind down the stretch. Impressive win at Clemson a few weeks ago, ending their uh, Final Four hopes. So, yeah, I think this Gator Bowl at 3.30 on December 30th between the Irish uh, and the Gamecocks is, is going to be a good one. And I think that's that, that was the method here. Um, get ND, at least if you're not going to get it to the New Year Six, and there was no way that was going to happen with four losses, get them in a premier spot that they earned as the lead-in to the college football playoff. And that 8 o'clock game on the 30th is the Orange Bowl. Tennessee, Clemson. No Hendon Hooker for Tennessee. All right, you lose some of the luster there because he's been out with injury. Tennessee and Clemson, I like this game. I might go Tennessee here. I just don't, I didn't trust Clemson late in the season. Um, but there's plenty of time to go through um, these picks as the, as the lead up. We'll have a beautiful show next week as a lead into a lot of these bowl games. Um, on Saturday, December 31st, where you get the Music City Bowl, Iowa, Kentucky. That'll be physical, low scoring. I mean, that could be the lowest scoring game with, with uh, Will Levis not playing for quarterback for Kentucky. At least I don't think he's playing. Um, and Iowa's offense is just putrid. Um, you get the Sugar Bowl that day as well, Alabama and Kansas State. Both of those games are at noon. And then you get the final four. Uh, again, two versus three, Michigan two, TCU number three. And then 1v4, Georgia versus Ohio State. Um, bowl season to me is great. It, it, it's, it's like college basketball when you get into the brackets. All right? Some people think there's too many bowls. Let these kids enjoy themselves. There is a bit of an issue that I have now with what's going on with the NIL money and the transfer portal. This was going to happen. The problem is, I think it's it's an insane process that they're both exploding at the same time. I get that these programs in college basketball, college football, whatever else, want to win. I don't know it that it's the greatest idea that there's now NIL money for these kids to determine where they're going to go. I understand that they're kids. They're student athletes. They're not athlete students. 
I'm the biggest Notre Dame fan on planet Earth. But I respect the hell out of the way that they hold their academic standards. University of Michigan does the same thing. Stanford does the same thing. Many schools do. And nobody's blind to the fact if you got this NIL opportunity to use it, they will. Notre Dame's got money. But the fact that this transfer portal has now become sort of a game. And we're throwing all this money all over. What does that mean for an education? What does that mean for the level playing field in college football? USC had 19 impactful transfers this year playing. Good for them. But it's getting out of control. Lane Kiffin recently called the entire process crazy. And he's using it. And he should use it. Bill Self has spoken about the problems in college basketball. This is a Hall of Fame basketball coach. Said it's out of control. It is. Quote, I think it's bad. In theory, it's good. Yeah, he's right. Freedom of movement and everything. Because some kids feel trapped. I'm not playing here. I don't feel comfortable here. Whatever. I Listen, I went to school. I transferred. I wasn't a premier athlete. I played tennis. I didn't like the school I was at, so I transferred. I had the ability to transfer. So not feeling trapped is important. Kids can move. I mean, the, the other thing is, too, these coaches do whatever they want. Which isn't even part of the issue. I think there should be a dark month for coaches as well. If you're on a team, you got a contract, at least go through the end of the season before you bail. Now, coaches got to do what they got to do. I get it. But say, you want to you leave uh, LSU and go take the, I don't know, the Alabama, whatever, Alabama job. Finish out the season. And you can go. There's a better way to handle that. Because who's going to get screwed? The kids. But now you got these, these, this NIL problem, and I totally agree with what, 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 what Bill Self is saying. It's good that kids can move, coaches can move too. But it is out of control because now you're looking: can I get a bigger NIL deal somewhere else? That's a problem. That goes against every single thing college sports was supposed to stand for and the NCAA has allowed this to happen. <clears throat> I'm all about name, image, and likeness, getting recognition. And I don't mean to be the old man in the room screaming, get off my lawn. But these kids are getting scholarship education. And I'm sorry if that rubs some people the wrong way. That cannot be dismissed. Somebody's schools is $60,000 a year. Multiply that by four. That's a lot of money. No matter how much you make, that's a lot of money. And they're getting on a dime to play a sport. Now, you want to allow them to get paid and do commercials? I'm cool with that, too. It's personal branding. But now to say, oh, I'm committed to Stanford. Oh, I'm going to go to Oregon. They're going to give me more money. They got the Nike deal. Well, I'm going to go to Notre Dame. They got the Under Armour contract. I'm going to go to Alabama. I got access to this. I got access to that. The other thing where I know I'll sound like the cranky guy, this National Signing Day crap has got to stop. 
I, w I might make the argument. The kids come out of the high school season. With, they know where they're going to go if they're going to be an athlete. Let them announce it that day and sign that day. Why does there have to be a circus around a national signing day? The kids know where they're going to go. I mean, if anybody watched this Peyton Bowen uh, lunacy unfold, this kid was one of the premier defensive backs in the country. Committed to Notre Dame. Awesome. It's a verbal. Got to wait till National Signing Day to sign, even though he said he wanted to go to Notre Dame. Changes his mind. Now he's going to go to Oregon. National Signing Day. He puts on a freaking Notre Dame hat. His mother was all juiced up because that's where she wanted him to go. Takes off the Notre Dame hat and goes, no, no, I'm just kidding. Puts on the Oregon hat. Mother was pissed. You could see it. The mother was furious for the dog and pony show. Kid winds up not signing the letter of intent with Oregon. Now, I have to ask some friends out there if this was actually true. Then you read uh, in, in some reports that he reached back out to Notre Dame. And Notre Dame said, no thanks. Not after that circus. Kid doesn't sign with Oregon now. Flips to Oklahoma instead. I mean, this is crazy. And this won't be the only time this happens. This NIL deal. And then with the open transfer portal is out of control. Plus, the fear is as a parent. If you were a parent of one of these kids, let's say you live in, let's say you live in Oregon, and your kid gets a full ride to play football or basketball, or whatever, at LSU. 18 years old, he is, he's he's going to play the starting quarterback. Now he's got all this money. What what the hell is an 18 year old going to do with all of this money? In most cases, use your head. That kid's not investing the money. So you would think, you would hope that there would be a responsibility factor in there. This is all greed. One-upsmanship. Oh, you're going to go to Kansas? Kansas State's going to offer you more. Are you going to go to Notre Dame? Michigan's going to offer you more. Oh, you want to go to St. John's? No, you got a better shot at going down uh, to South Carolina. They're going to give you more. Well, what? I, I don't like it. I think the purity aspect has gotten out of control. Because there's a beauty in sports. But to just to start ripping apart the college aspect, specifically as it relates to basketball and football, is disturbing. It's not going to ruin these bowl games and me watching this. But I'm very interested to see the direction with NIL and the transfer portal moving forward. I do not think this is good for college football and basketball at all. I don't. I don't like it. I don't think it's good. I root for a team that's going to have plenty of it. And they'll play the game. But don't think for one second that there's going to be specific schools that recruit differently. A team like Michigan, Notre Dame, Stanford that have those high academic standards aren't just going to throw money at you and have you come to their school. Which is why Peyton Bowen is not in South Bend. I don't like it at all. I'm happy for a lot of these kids. But I think the greed aspect has led us here. The power of the almighty dollar has certainly gotten us here. Because now what I think is going to happen 
you could look at exploitation here for these kids. On the surface, it looks good. Yes, I'm a college kid. I'm an athlete. I'm going to do commercials for Subway or bathing suits or Home Depot or whatever else at McDonald's. And I get all this money. So are the corporations and the companies getting money at their expense also. They're college student athletes. How we forget that sometimes, I don't know. But I think it's a big problem, and I hope it doesn't get totally out of control. I'm not be I'm not optimistic that it will, but I hope it does. As a capper for the show, and again, thanks for listening. Sports Today with Peter J. I really appreciate it. Those of you uh, reaching out, I, I appreciate it. Um, and I got some likes. Uh, Ahmad tossed a like uh, and a follow on the show. I appreciate that. Um, some other people who have chimed in uh, with different messages, this, that, and the other thing. You can follow me on social media, at PeterJM on Twitter. Uh, subscribe to the platform here on Podbean and Podbean Live. The show gets posted later, um, so we will have that uh, everything ready to go. We'll get it up and running on Apple. I'm looking into Spotify as well. It's growing. And because you folks listen, which is great. Um, If you ever want to get on the air live on Podbean when I do these these shows live, you got to have the app. And then you call right in. Right through the app. Piece of cake. Everything's free. Free download. uh, Free accessibility. Those of you interested in starting podcasts, I do recommend this platform. I've got my audio board. Um, Those of you also who like to maybe... Um, do some mixing, right? Putting packages together. Uh, if you're not into, you know, buying all the Audacity stuff, the Apple GarageBand does a really good job. All, right, all those opens you hear um, that I start my show with is kind of like a recap of the previous week with my show intro, then my music bed and some highlights. I do all that editing in GarageBand uh, right through Apple, and it's great uh, and it's free. And everything uploads as any format you want. I choose MP4, and it's perfect. Um, so it's been great. Those of you interested in podcasting yourselves, it's awesome. So I do recommend this. And then uh, once you get rolling, build up a little fan base. Um, because of you, I was able to uh, take things to the next step um, as far as Apple podcasts are concerned. So here's what I'm looking forward to this weekend. It's pretty simple. Um, you got the huge NFL Saturday slate. And you get the Green Bay-Miami game, which is kind of the headliner uh, for Sunday uh, tomorrow. Green Bay still in it. Miami very much still in it in the AFC. Uh, biggie for the Giants today, one o'clock uh, in Minnesota. You know, I, I think you, you're looking for. This isn't a great Minnesota secondary, so can the Giants open up anything in the passing department? And then, how much are, are the A players on Minnesota going to play? A Dalvin Cook, a JJ Cousins, uh, defensively, what are they going to do? It'll be interesting. Minnesota's not going to sit on this, especially after the emotional victory last week. But they're going to the playoffs, and they got the division locked up. But it's a, it's a big slate this Saturday uh, in the NFL going into tomorrow. College football, there's no games tomorrow. Kind of quiet. You got the Hawaii Bowl tonight, which is always a fun one. Middle Tennessee State, San Diego State, uh, top 25 in college basketball. That'll pretty much resume on Monday, Tuesday. And then you get more into the meat of the bowl season as we lead into New Year's Eve with the, uh, the Final Four, pitting number one Georgia against number four Ohio State, number two Michigan against number three, TCU. Again, everybody who chimed in today, thank you uh, for, for tuning in on the Podbean app. This will be posted later for those who might have missed it. Uh, you can check it out right on my my main page. You'll know where to find that uh, right through the Podbean app or the website as well. 
And I hope to have it up and running on Apple Podcasts later in the day. Uh, subscription info right on Podbean. You can toss a like and subscribe to the Saturday show. And stay locked in. Sports Today with Peter J. We're on Twitter, uh, at Peter JM. It's up to the up to the date information, up to the minute, um, and insight on your favorite teams and leagues. Next Saturday, I'll be back in the usual 11 a.m. Eastern time slot. Same places on Podbean Live and Apple Podcasts. On that note, have a great weekend, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy holidays. I'll talk to you next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern time on Sports Today with Peter J. Have a good one, folks.